Good day, stoners, and welcome to another juicy episode of the Turning Stones podcast. On today's episode, it's a very important one. We're talking about Afghanistan. Unfortunately, there aren't going to be too many fun facts or pleasantries in regards to this topic. It's just going to be about what's been circulating the media over the last fortnight. All the wars and conflicts over the last 20 years, and now the Taliban taking over. I'm just going to give you a little rundown and summary as to what's actually going on and just, I guess, dissecting and summarizing all the events that have led up to this particular catastrophe. Stay tuned, stoners. This episode's going to be short and sweet. I'm going to be concise and I'm going to get straight to the point. Before we get stuck into it, making sure that you're following us on all the socials, Twitter and Instagram, our handle is at TurnstonesPod. We're also on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and anywhere else where you get your podcasts. Just type in Turning Stones Podcasts on your Google machine and you shall find us. So making sure that you give us a follow. And of course, for some episodes, we offer a visual episode and we are also on YouTube. So give us a follow, give us a subscribe. You won't regret it. Enjoy. I will see you on the other side. So let's start right from the top here. What is happening in Kabul? And for all of those that don't know, Kabul is the capital of Afghanistan. Also, before I get started, I'm just going to explain what is the difference between Al-Qaeda, the Taliban and ISIS. So the so-called Islamic State, Al-Qaeda, and now the Taliban are radical jihadist groups. Jihadism is an expression referring to militant Islamic movements that are perceived as threatening to the West, being the Western world. So basically, to summarize, ISIS, the Islamic State, the Taliban, and Al-Qaeda are just different jihadist radical groups. They were sought to establish a Islamic-type government through law and order alongside a strict interpretation of Sharia law. Now, for those that don't know, Sharia is a religious law forming part of the Islamic or Muslim tradition. It is derived from the religious percepts of Islam, particularly the Quran and the Hadith. But unfortunately... Putting religion aside, these groups, their interpretation of Sharia law has just gone way too far. From killing innocent people, injecting fear into the world, hostile takeovers, and causing disruption and chaos wherever they go. This is not something that is good. This is bad. Now let's get back to Afghanistan. I apologize for going on a slight tangent, but it is very important to go through a few definitions before I get started. So the Taliban has again taken control of Afghanistan. And when I mean again, well, they actually ran the country back in the late 1990s. Thereafter, the United States invaded Afghanistan in 2001 after the 9-11 terrorist attacks ousting the Taliban from power 
and since they never left the region. We did cover 9-11 in a previous episode and some conspiracy theories around that. We did discuss that potentially 9-11 could have been set up just as an excuse for the US to go into Afghanistan and take the Taliban out of order. And that's exactly what they did in 2001 till just recently, a few weeks ago. Many presidents, many political commentators have been complaining about America's and the USA's residency in Afghanistan. It's been their longest war. They've been there far too long. And there was a lot of tension and scrutiny as to why they were still there. And finally, they've gotten out. But to what consequence? Well, since their departure, the Taliban have come back and they've come back with a bang. They have taken over once again. According to the Taliban, the reason why they have actually taken over is that they feel like they represent the Afghanistani people. They feel like they're part of their culture. And without the Taliban there, and whilst the US had their occupancy, it was losing its character. They felt like they represented the dominant region of Afghanistan. And for all those reasons, as I mentioned, it appears as if they feel like they need to be in command. The next question is, why did the USA leave Afghanistan? Well, after 2011, once the Americans got their man and killed Osama bin Laden, why didn't they leave then? Interesting. However, in April 2021, current President Joe Biden advised his nation and the US military forces that the troops would leave Afghanistan by September in 2021, ending a 20-year occupation. Clearly, this was way quicker than September 2021. In May, they actually accelerated the pace of its troop withdrawal. And by the end of July 2021, nearly 90% of its withdrawal, leaving just over 650 troops to protect the US embassy in Kabul. Funnily enough, in 2002, over 93% of Americans actually supported the invasion of Afghanistan. But unfortunately, as the occupation continued into the years, and now be it nearly two decades, they changed the goals in regards to what their mission actually was. Instead of counter-terrorism, they changed their tact to counter-insurgency. So for all of you that don't know, Counterterrorism is basically eliminating all terrorism from the area. However, counterinsurgency is actually the totality of actions aimed at de defeating irregular forces, being Al-Qaeda, the Taliban, ISIS, etc. So instead of just eliminating terrorism from Afghanistan, getting the job done and leaving, they stayed and they thought, let's just defeat these irregular forces. Let's become counterinsurgents and 
fight a war that was never going to be 100% achievable. However, the initial outset was to defeat that particular group that caused the 9-11 terrorist attacks, or so they say, being Osama bin Laden. They did that in 2011. So let's go through a little timeline. 20 years of conflict in Afghanistan. What happened and when did it happen? Let's start right from the top, just as I did start right from the top in this podcast. But for this timeline purposes, we're starting right from the top, right from the start, shall I say. So the 11th of September 2001, or should I say 9-11, supposedly Al-Qaeda led by Osama bin Laden, carried out the largest terrorist attack ever on American soil, the biggest since Pearl Harbor. On the 7th of October 2001, there were the first airstrikes. So a US-led coalition bombs, the Taliban and Al-Qaeda facilities in Afghanistan. The 13th of November 2001, the fall of Kabul. The Northern Alliance, a group of anti-Taliban rebels backed by coalition forces, enter Kabul as the Taliban free the city. 26 January 2004, funnily enough, that is actually Australia Day. There was a new constitution. After negotiations, the new Afghan constitution is signed into law and this paved the way for presidential elections starting in October 2004. On the 7th of December 2004, Ahmed Kazai becomes the president. He is the leader of the Popalatsai Durrani tribe and becomes the first president under the new constitution. He serves two five-year terms as president. In May 2006, UK troops deployed to Helmand. Helmand province, which is a Taliban stronghold of the south of Afghanistan. 17 February 2009, Obama's surge. So the US president at the time, Barack Obama, approved a major increase in the number of troops sent to Afghanistan. At the peak of their powers, there were over 140,000 US troops in Afghanistan. So-called surge focused on protecting civilian population as well as killing insurgent fighters. Now the big one, as I've mentioned previously a couple of times already in this podcast, the big date, 2 May 2011. Osama bin Laden killed. Bin Laden is traced to a compound located less than a mile from a Pakistani military academy. The leader of Al-Qaeda is killed in an assault by the US Navy SEALs on a compound in Abbottabad in Pakistan. Bin Laden's body is removed and buried at sea. The operation ends a 10-year hunt led by the CIA. The confirmation that bin Laden had been living in on Pakistani soil fuels accusations in the US that Pakistan is an unreliable ally in the war on terror. 
So that raises a, a few other questions as well in the fact that the CIA may have been working with Pakistan to sort of actually find the man that they've been looking for, the most wanted man, I guess, around the world for that time and over for over 10 years. I mean, I remember back then when I was a kid when uh, 9-11 started, um, everyone knew Osama bin Laden and, you know, um, I guess everyone was familiar with his face and familiar with his name. As soon as you said Osama or bin Laden, you know, you, you instantly thought terrorist. However, you know, you come to realize, uh, especially with Australia being a very multicultural country, um, Osama is a quite a popular um, Muslim name. So, yeah, I mean, hopefully uh, we don't stereotype too much, but uh, back then, uh, Osama bin Laden was a household name and a household face. And yeah, I mean, the Pakistanis, nothing against them. Good cricketers as well, by the way. But uh, yeah, I mean, at that point in time, the US were a little bit uh, cautious and, and wary. I mean, yeah, they ratted him out or they assisted the CIA in finding him. However, um, did they have uh, other motives? weren't divulged to the US. Who knows? But anyway, moving on and continuing on with the timeline. 23 April 2013, there was the death of Mala Omar. Who is Mala Omar? He is the founder of the Taliban. His death is kept secret for more than two years. According to Afghan intelligence, Mala Omar dies of health problems at a hospital in the Pakistani city of Karachi. Pakistan denies that he was in the country. So once again, there's some issues and some ambiguity with Pakistan. 28 December 2014, NATO ends combat operations. Hmm. What is NATO? NATO's purpose is to guarantee the freedom and security of its members through political and military means. NATO promotes democratic values and enables members to consult and cooperate on defense and security related issues to solve problems, build trust, and in the long run, prevent conflict. It actually stands for North Atlantic Treaty Organization, also referred to as the North Atlantic Alliance. It consists of 28 European countries and two North American countries. The treaty was signed on 4 April 1949. So at a ceremony in Kabul, obviously the Afghanistani capital, NATO, which just described to you just then, ends its combat operations in Afghanistan. With the surge now over, the US withdraws thousands of troops, most of those who remain focused on training and supporting the Afghan security forces. In 2015, the Taliban resurgence. The Taliban launched a series of suicide attacks, car bombings, and other assaults. The parliament building in Kabul and the city of Kundans are attacked. Islamic State militants begin operations in Afghanistan. 25th of January 2019. The death toll announcement. Afghanistan President Asraf Ghani says that more than 45,000 members of his country's security forces have been killed since he became leader in 2014. This figure is definitely far higher than anyone had predicted and had previously thought. In February 2020, the US signs a deal with the Taliban. The deal entailed 
and paved the way for a significant drawdown of US troops in Afghanistan. It also included guarantees from the Taliban that the country will not be used for terrorist activities. Funnily enough, after the US-Taliban deal was signed, dozens of attacks on Afghan security forces were conducted by the Taliban fighters. However, US forces responded with an airstrike against the Taliban in the southern province of Helmand. So definitely quite the opposite of pleasant post-contract negotiations. April 14, 2001. Time to end the war forever. Biden announced that all troops will be removed from Afghanistan by September 11, 2021. 20 years from the date. In his speech, explaining the decision, Biden actually said that he became convinced after the trip to Afghanistan in 2008 that more and endless American military forces could not create or sustain a durable Afghan government. Biden says the US achieved its initial and primary objective to ensure Afghanistan would be not used as a base from which to attack our homeland again. And that our reasons for remaining in Afghanistan are becoming increasingly unclear. And I have to agree. After Obama was done, after the counter-terrorism was completed, why stick around? Why send so many troops and actually put them in jeopardy and continue the war? According to the initial agreement, Biden's decision was actually a delay of full withdrawal until September. However, the Taliban released a statement saying that failure to complete the withdrawal by the 1st of May opens the way for the Taliban to take every necessary countermeasure. Hence, the American side will be held responsible for all future consequences. A few days after this, Trump actually criticized Biden's delayed withdrawal, saying, we can and should get out earlier. He also said if I was in power, and whilst he was in power, he had planned to withdraw by the 1st of May. And he also said that we should keep as close to that schedule as possible. Now, a little footnote in these Taliban US agreements that the withdrawal of troops or the final withdrawal of the remaining troops will be withdrawn regardless of whether there's actually progress made in intra-Afghan peace talks or the Taliban reducing its attacks on Afghan security forces and citizens. So regardless of what happens after President Biden announced on the 14th of April 2021, so regardless of what happens, they were going to withdraw the troops and they have done so. On August 15, 2021, Afghan government collapses as the Taliban takes Kabul. Facing little resistance, Taliban fighters overrun the capital, Kabul, and take over the presidential palace hours after President Ghani leaves the country. Taliban leaders say they will hold talks with Afghan officials to form an open, inclusive Islamic government. Former Afghan President Kazar and Abdullah formerly the chief executive under Ghani, 
create a council to facilitate the peaceful transition to a Taliban government. The takeover follows the Taliban's rapid advance, during which it captured all but two of Afghanistan's provincial capitals and seized border crossings. Afghan security forces in some areas reportedly negotiated surrenders and avoided fighting the Taliban. A day later, on the 16th of August, President Biden defends the withdrawal, saying that his administration made the right decision in ending the US military involvement in Afghanistan, arguing that the US counterterrorism mission is complete, which he is correct in saying so, but they did move the goals, they did change their tact, and they did change their mission from counterterrorism to counterinsurgency. That wasn't his decision to make at the time, but then always the person responsible is the man in charge when shit hits the fan. He acknowledged that the troop withdrawal had been messy and blames Afghan security forces for failing to counter the Taliban, whilst the US throughout their 20-year occupation had tried to educate, train and facilitate and strengthen the Afghan security forces as best they could. The US deployed 6,000 troops to evacuate the US and allied personnel to secure Kabul's international airport where chaos erupts as thousands of Afghans attempt to flee. Biden says the military will help evacuate thousands of Afghans who worked with the United States and he expands refugee status access for vulnerable Afghans. Just as a summary of the war between 2001 and 2021, 3,586 US and allied troops were killed, 75,971 military and police died, 78,314 civilians were killed, and 84,191 opposition fighters, including the Taliban, died and all were killed. This is a staggering number, especially when it comes down to civilians. So there has been a really big toll on this particular war in Afghanistan. What happens next now that the Taliban have taken over? How they plan to govern Afghanistan, the Taliban, it does remain unclear. But it has been reported that they want to inform an inclusive Islamic government with other factions. They're actually currently holding negotiations with some politicians, those senior ones, and in leaders in the former government. They have pledged to enforce Islamic law and they will provide a secure environment for the return of normal life after decades of war. So what it used to be before this American occupation and the removal of terrorism. But many Afghans distrust the Taliban and fear that their rule will be violent and oppressive. One sign that worries people is that they want to rename the country the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan, which is what they called it last time they ruled. And to those Afghanis out there, the last thing you want to do is to have terrorists occupy your country, retake over after 20 years, I guess, of some sort of peace and normality prior to the initial Taliban takeover. And also the last thing you want to happen is all these barbaric rights and laws to be enforced once again and for them to rename your country. How bloody dare they? The future for women in Afghanistan remains uncertain. Taliban spokesman Suhail 
Shaheen says that the group will respect the rights of women and minorities as per Afghan norms and Islamic values. On Tuesday, the militants declared an amnesty across Afghanistan and said it wanted women to join its government. Definitely a different tact from their initial takeover. But there are fears over women's freedom to work, to dress as they choose, or to even leave their home alone under Taliban rule. Another major fear is that the country will once again become a training ground for terrorism. Taliban officials insist that they will fully adhere to the US deal and prevent any group from using Afghan soil as a base for attacks against the US and its allies. So I guess they may adhere to this negotiation, but there might be a few loopholes. So maybe Afghanistan might not be a training base, or I guess no terrorist attack might derive out of Afghanistan or from its soils, but it could become the headquarters of a worldwide terrorist organization. Taliban say that the only aim is to implement an Islamic government and will not pose a threat to any other country. However, many analysts see through this. They say the Taliban and Al-Qaeda are inseparable and with the latter's fighters heavily embedded and engaged in training activity. It's also important to remember the Taliban aren't centralized and are a unified force. So they are located in various parts of the world. Just how powerful Al-Qaeda is and whether it could be now be rebuilt as a global network is also unclear. But the combination of the Taliban, ISIS and Al-Qaeda all joining forces proves a massive threat to not only the Western world, but to the rest of the world and for safety. The fear of Afghanistan returning to what it was pre-9-11 when the Taliban took over and occupied the country has forced many local residents to flee or want to flee the country. However, in doing so, can be quite difficult. The Kabul International Airport, which is only a few kilometers away from the UK, the US, embassies, the former Green Zone, the Presidential Palace, is actually circulated by Taliban fighters. In fact, the Taliban fighters control checkpoints on all roads leading to the airport. At the main entrance, the Taliban fired shots and people have reported being beaten and whipped at the gates to the airport. So, I mean, it's not a long trek from, I'd say, from that green zone and from those embassies and I guess from a really peaceful area. Um, well, not so much anymore, but um, not very far to the airport. However, everything's being blocked by the Taliban. So, not an easy way out. Since the shitstorm, at least 12,000 people have been evacuated via Kabul airport since the start. They include a mix of Western government staff and aid agency workers, as well as Afghan residents who have worked with Western governments of or their agencies. 
or they are even perceived to be of particularly risk due to the nature of their work, such as journalists, translators, or human rights activists. Majority of these 12,000 and approximately around 7,000 were flown out of Kabul by the US military on a cargo aircraft. The United Kingdom said it had taken roughly around 1,200 people out of the country, while Germany said that it had taken out 1,700 people to safety. Other nations that have helped in this flea evacuation rescue mission include Australia, Canada, the Czech Republic, Denmark, Poland, and Switzerland. Most of these military planes out of Kabul stopped off in Uzbekistan's capital, Tashkent, Doha, which is the capital of Qatar, and Islamabad in Pakistan. The evacuees have been put on to regular flights to the receiving country. And of course, making things all that more difficult is bloody COVID-19. And of course, with Australia, how SCOMO and the government have negotiated exemptions for them to come home. I'm not sure what the paperwork and what has been done for that, but I know there are things in place. The wheels are in motion to get them home. Quarantine or not, I'm sure they wouldn't mind spending a hotel, well, spending four days in a, 14 days, should I say, in a hotel, quarantining um, where food's provided, safety's provided, as opposed to staying where they've come from in Afghanistan, where the Taliban are nearly taking all over. Other Afghans, mostly civilians, who have worked with the US or international missions in the country, will actually be temporarily sheltered in Albania, Kosovo, or Northern Macedonia while their American visas are being processed. The three Balkan countries, which are due to receive agreed numbers of Afghan, ref Afghan refugees from this weekend, are the first European countries to commit to a transit country arrangement with the US. I'm sure it's going to be one of those, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours type of arrangement. So under a US pledged agreement, the United States have welcomed 10,000 people from Afghanistan, while Australia will take in 3,000 under this existing program. Tajikistan said last month it was ready to shelter 100,000 displaced people from its neighbouring country. Tajikistan is on the northern border of Afghanistan. Other big numbers were the German Chancellor Angela Merkel. She had said that they would be able to take 10,000 at-risk people from Afghanistan. As good as it is to have these people flee the country in question being Afghanistan, and fleeing a country that is at most at risk for their lives, the world could be facing another refugee crisis. The UN, or the United Nations, actually said that 550,000 Afghans have been internally displaced since January. So where to put all these refugees could be quite an issue in terms of housing, food, and just normal living conditions for each of those countries in question. But for the people that do remain, food, shelter, health and sanitary items are the bare necessities. But also the people in Kabul are probably desperate need of cash. It's really important for people to have access to multi-purpose cash because 
there is going to be a surge of inflation in Afghanistan. Especially if they have to relocate to a large city like Kabul that already has high food prices and markets with fluctuating prices during the current instability and also the lack of food and water, clean water, having the ability to come in and out of Kabul with all those border restrictions. Hopefully, for those that have fled, you have found greener pastures and more so, hopefully, that those that have remained there have found a safe haven and continue to do so. We all hope that one day all those that have left can return and also the country can find peace. One day the country will be free, back to what it was pre the Taliban takeover, pre-terrorism, back to its diplomatic state. Our thoughts and well wishes go to those that are particularly involved and those that are in major threat. Stay safe, guys. Things like this, stories like this, puts life into perspective. Don't take nothing for granted. That's it for today. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.